All right. Today, it was my privilege to speak to you in our message out of the letters of Peter. And this morning, I'm particularly excited because we're going to be focusing on the letter of 2 Peter in our Bible. It's three chapters long. It's not a very long letter, but it has a theme. And today, we're going to talk about that theme. And by God's help, I want to be able to apply it to our lives in a way that's helpful, but also bringing some real challenge because that is the essence of the letter of 2 Peter. And this morning, I've entitled what I'm going to share with you, The Last Day's Message. The Last Day's Message. Would you pray with me before we continue that God would use these moments to really speak to us? And if you're at home watching, uh, maybe you'll get out your Bibles and we'll look at first, we'll look at Second Peter and we'll pray together. Would you join us? Our Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you. And we pray for all of us who are hearing words here today, whether here or at home. We pray that the Holy Spirit would energize the very atmosphere where we are. I pray that the part of us where we understand would be enlightened. I pray that the part of us where we are convicted would be touched. I pray the part of us that we pay attention with would be captivated. Not by me or by this church, but by you yourself. And I pray that at the end of this moments that we're going into now, we would be able to say that God was talking with us. We ask you to help it to be so in Jesus' name. If you can agree, say amen. Amen. Last day's message. I'm excited to share with you out of Second Peter uh, more than normal because I really, really think as a pastor that the message we're going to talk about today is, is so important, and I also believe that it's a somewhat neglected topic. And you'll find out why here in a moment. But the message is quite simple, and the message, or the heart of the message, I should say, is quite simple. And the heart of that message is, is really four words, and here they are. Jesus is coming soon. Would you all repeat those after me? I know, I know this isn't first grade, but let just... You know, humor me a little bit here, all right? Say, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. The reason why I'm excited to talk about this today is because, frankly, I think we preachers, churches, can avoid this subject. And we don't talk about it much. And it is really, if you read your New Testament, you don't have to read very far in any of the books until you find them talking about the soon coming of Jesus. And yet for us today, it seems like a subject that we, oh, talking about the last days. And it gives us concern. And I think I know why. Because we're quick to believe crazy ideas. So before you get insulted, just listen with me carefully at some of the most popular failed doomsday predictions that have been in our lives. Have you ever survived a failed doomsday prediction? Raise your hand. I've survived maybe dozens of them. But, but let's look at some of the real wild out there ones that didn't happen. 
First of all, the Mayan apocalypse. You remember that one? The Mayan apocalypse was supposed to happen December 12, 2012. Somehow, somebody connected that the Mayans had a calendar. The calendar was ending at that day, and the whole world was going to end in that day. And all kinds of people made preparations of the Mayan apocalypse. But surprise, we're still here. We made it through. All right, Mayan apocalypse. So that was one thing. Then, then there were, these were a little more serious. These were a, a Christian teacher. Uh, we call them the Harold Camping Predictions. Some of you are familiar with them. He wrote books and was very popular. He predicted Jesus is coming again in 1992. But he didn't. So we had to rewrite the book and make a correction because something went wrong with our calculation. And he predicted he would come in 1994. And he didn't. And then he predicted 2011 with the third book. And I don't know if there's any more books, but I, okay, you get the picture. Three times, whatever. Three predictions, Jesus didn't come. Then who remembers the Y2K thing? You remember that? Some of you are a little bit older? Y2K, you know that the whole computer programs weren't supposed to be scheduled for the year 2000 and the whole world was going to shut down and all the, all the technology was going to fail. And so, you know what was crazy? It was all we had as a church at that point was that little building that's now our office center. And it was New Year's Eve, and we just had a, like a prayer meeting on New Year's Eve. Churches used to do that a lot. You know, we'd pray in the new year. And so we sang some songs, and we prayed. And we got to, we got to 12 o'clock, and, and some jokester uh, at midnight found his way into the mechanical room <laughs> and went over and got the big master breaker 12 o'clock, poof, everything went dark. People went, oh, no. <laughs> it wasn't Y2K. It was, a, it was a joke. But we made it through Y2K. And, I, and I'm making light of these things because they really are kind of funny. Some of them are, have a note of tragedy to them because it's really sad to put Jesus' name on a date prediction and then have to come back and say, well, I guess not. And it's even sadder when we're too proud to admit we're the wrong ones. And uh, that was the next one there. Uh, uh, the, it's called Millerism because it was a gentleman during the Great Awakening revivals called Miller who came up with very strong calculations about when Jesus was going to come again. He did the same thing, predicted it didn't come to pass. He said, well, the reason it didn't is something happened in heaven that adjusted the time clock. So now he's going to come in another day. He made two or three predictions. You know, these whole denominations and movements are still following those predictions today, which is a little tragic. Here's my favorite. This was from the city of Leeds, England in the, I think, late 1800s. This was called the Prophet Hen, H-E-N. Not a person, a chicken. And this chicken laid eggs, supposedly subscribed on the eggs were the words, Christ is coming. And it started a whole movement all across Europe. People were preparing, Jesus is coming, this chicken is laying eggs. And the owner of the chicken was later found out to be the one that was writing, Christ is coming on the eggs. And so... You know, it's, it's all sort of funny, and it's a little tragic, and it's silly, but it's why we don't talk about Jesus coming again. Because we seem, as Christians, obsessed with the idea when we say last days, end times, coming of Christ, immediately we leapfrog to, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Who's going to be involved? 
when is this going to happen? Who is this? How is that? Where do our popular cultural icon figures lie in this last day scenario? And we are so quick to obsess on the date, the time, and the how that we don't really hear what God said to us concerning living in the last days. Now, God did, in the Bible, there are predictions about events that will happen in, in certain ways. Never, and I mean never, did God say, you better know exactly when these dates are. But there are lots of places where God said, you better know some things about the last days. Peter was used by God to write some of those you better knows. And we're going to look at them today. So, 2 Peter has what I believe is an excellent message for us on the last days. We're going to look at two points, but let's read a scripture first of all. 2 Peter chapter 1, and then we'll also read a, a couple of verses in chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. Peter said, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And he's talking about excellent moral qualities that, that we should develop as Christians. He said, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He knew he was going to be executed soon. He knew that the Roman emperor was going to have him killed. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. I will make every effort so that after my departure you may have, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Basically, Peter is saying, I know that I'm going to be killed shortly, and I have some things that you really, really need to know, and he's going to write them. Second Peter 3, two verses. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind. Notice the word is the same, stirring up. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter said, I want to stir you up. This may be the last, last chance I get to talk to you. And if it is, I want to remind you of some things. I want to stir you up. I want to make sure that you capture what I'm saying in these moments and in these hours in which we live. So let me just say something before we get into the, the message that Peter is delivering. We are going to look at today, and we've already examined the folly of trying to pick a day of when Jesus comes and still be able to not do that, but still be able to live in anticipation of his coming. So it's really important that we anticipate his coming because we are waiting for him to come to fulfill in our lives and in this earth what he accomplished in his sacrifice on the cross. So we should be excited for his coming. We should be waiting for his coming. We should be anticipating his coming, longing for his coming, and yet not trying to predict when it will happen. The early church in the first century went through a little struggle with this very thing. If you've read writings of Paul and John and others in the New Testament, the implication, and I'm sure you have come to this conclusion, you read these books and it sounds like, whoa, Jesus is coming at any moment. They believe it's, it's going to happen right now. But it didn't happen right now. 
And somewhere in the latter part of the first century, the early church had to make an adjustment, and they did really well with it. They adjusted from, and this, this word will help you, they adjusted from the soonness of his coming to the suddenness of his coming. And I want you to think about that. Because it seems like we either throw one out and keep the other, or vice versa. The soonness of his coming versus the suddenness of his coming. They realized that some of the apostles were dying off. And they realized that we're not all, we may not all even survive until he comes again. What if we don't? What if none of us do? We're going to have to write these words down, which is why the Gospels were written, which were some of the last recorded works of the New Testament. And they wrote them down because they think, well, we're alive now. We can verify who Jesus was and what he did, but what if we're gone? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written late to give us a record of Jesus' work. They knew that he was coming suddenly, but they realized it may not be as soon as we think. I wish we could make that adjustment because suddenly is better than soon. What do I mean? I mean, if I somehow could predict that in exactly three minutes, Jesus is coming again to give out his reward and bring judgment to the world. You'd have three minutes to prepare. Probably a lot of knees would be on the floor right now. Go, oh God, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to get right. You'd still have time if you knew if it was soon. But when he comes, whether it's in one second or a thousand years, it's going to be suddenly. It's, he's just going to be there. You're not going to get a warning ahead. You're going to have to live in such a way that you'd be ready at any time moment for his return you following me soon versus sudden now what were the messages that peter gave us these two messages that i've extracted from his writing for us today number one in the last days here's a message there is a warning about false teachers everyone say warning about false teachers Maybe you are in grade school. I don't know, but we're, we're keeping you talking today. Warning about false teachers. We'll explain it in a moment, but let's read the words. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, but false prophets also arose among the people. Those were the people of Israel that left Egypt under the leadership of Moses. False prophets arose among them, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Just hold those thoughts. We'll read another. Verse 18 of chapter 2. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, a person to that he is enslaved. So I want to talk to you real briefly about this. So for those of you that think I'm going to go down a list and tell you who all the false teachers are in the world, I, I hate that stuff. I just don't think that's profitable at all. But I will explain, if you'll give me about two minutes, I'll give you something that I think will help you understand how to interpret things. First of all, everything that's a bad teaching isn't a false teaching or a heresy. I want you to understand that. Everything, there, there's really a difference. There's bad teaching, there's false teaching, and then there's heresy. Bad teaching is just bad teaching. I have a friend who heard a sermon once, 
And in the sermon, it was one of these evangelistic sermons, you know, and they're trying to get people all excited and get them to the altar and, and repent and get right with God. And they had a really emotional sermon going. And the guy was preaching out of Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi. And he was going on. And he said, here's our brother, beloved apostle Paul. And he's in prison in Philippi. And his wife, Silas, is in jail with him. And they're jailed up together as a husband and a wife. And their son, Timothy, is walking outside the jail crying for mom and dad anybody get what's wrong with that Paul and Tim Paul and Silas were co-apostles male preachers of the gospel they weren't related they didn't have a family Timothy wasn't their son he was Paul's son in the faith it was bad preaching is it heretical no is somebody go to, going to go to hell if you heard that sermon and didn't correct them? No. Should you get your facts together? Yes, because it's embarrassing. <laughs> That's bad preaching. What's heresy? Heresy is the worst. I'm going to give you a simple definition. It would be good for you to remember. Heresy is a reduction of either of the following percentages. A reduction of either of the following percentages. I'm going to make two statements. Jesus is 100% God. Can I have an amen? amen. Jesus is 100% God. Second statement. Jesus is 100% man. Can I have an amen? amen? If you reduce either of those percentages from 100%, it's heresy. It's messing with who God even is, which is we don't get to do that which is dangerous. You following me? You reduce those percentages, it's heretical. It's extremely dangerous because you're presenting a message of Christ that's not true at all. Whole denominations, not so much denominations, but cultic movements, non-Christian movements have been developed that, that do that very thing. That's dangerous. We don't really worry about it too much in here. It's okay, but it'll help you to understand. False teaching was also what Peter talked about. In Peter's day, this was the false teaching. It said that these teachers taught people and they lured in a congregation by their own sinful desires, telling them anything you want to do and anything you feel is okay. He said it's easy preaching and it's easy gathering because all of us have desires that we want to follow, our sinful nature. And Peter said they appealed to the sinful nature and say, don't th think that God cares about how you behave. He doesn't care. He just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be in love with him and to do whatever you feel is right. Peter said that's false teaching. Is there a danger of that today? I think so. So the reason we know what Peter was saying is not that he spelled out specific things, but he said, if you somehow come under the spell of teaching that says any behavior is fine, and no matter what you do, there's no consequences for behavior before God, Peter said, I have two examples for you. Number one, Noah and the flood. If God cares nothing for human behavior, and what you do does not produce any results before God, Peter's counsel was, can you explain why he would destroy the whole planet with a flood? 
if it didn't matter how we behave? His second example was the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember the story. Peter said, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, how they were destroyed with fire from heaven? His whole appeal was, these false teachers are telling you, you can do anything you want, you can be anything you want, you can act however you want, it doesn't matter, God loves you just like you are. The last statement is true, God loves you just like you are. But the first statement is false teaching, behavior matters. I know this isn't popular preaching, but it's, it's good for us all. Peter warned us that there would be false teaching, and he said, Sodom and Gomorrah is full of sulfur today because they believed false teaching. It's not heresy. It's just bad teaching, false teaching. So the danger for us today, let me articulate it better because we're going to go on to the second point, which will be easier to apply. The danger for us today is exemplified by the old example of boiling a frog in a pan of lukewarm water. We're the frog. We're already saved. We're saved because of Jesus' grace, not because of our behavior. Are you good with that? We know that it is his death, his resurrection on the cross, that song we sang, it is the source of the grace that comes out of a deep but empty grave. Beautiful words. We're saved by his grace, not by our works. Our behavior doesn't bring us to heaven or anything like that. We know that. We're saved and marked by his blood like the homes in Egypt were marked on the night of Passover. We're saved and it's wonderful. But we happen to be living in an environment that is a boiling pan of evil water. And the problem with the frog is it's cold-blooded, so it slowly adjusts itself to its environment. And even though it's getting hotter and hotter and the frog's in danger of boiling to death, it doesn't really even respond. It could easily hop out of the water, but it doesn't try because it's comfortable and slowly elevated into it. The warning for us is that don't be that frog. We're not called as Christians to go around pointing fingers and condemning people. That's not our job. We love people into the gospel, right? Isn't that true? But... Don't be tricked into thinking the boiling water is a good thing. Just don't be tricked. That's what Peter was warning. So that will lead us into our second and last point that Peter is going to bring out for us here today. And that is a warning against spiritual laziness. A warning against spiritual laziness. You know, maybe the heresy thing We'll take a pass. I'm good. I know who Jesus is. Maybe the false teaching thing, I think I figured it out. You know, there are things that God does and does not approve of, and I get it. But the spiritual lazy thing is, a, is a, something that convicts me, and I hope you. Second Peter, let's read, starting in verse number 3, about what he said would happen in the last days. He said, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, quote, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, you Christians are crazy. 
you're just trying to scare me with this last day stuff. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now we're going to read verse 8 and 9 and then we'll stop. He said, but do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He's trying to say, not soon, but suddenly. If you're waiting for a date, no, I don't have one. But I'm warning you that you should be ready at any moment because whenever that moment is, you won't get a forewarning. Be ready at any moment. Be warned against spiritual laziness. Be warned against false teaching. Be warned against heresy. But especially, be ready. If you've read Jesus' words in Matthew 24, if you've read Paul's words in 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians, and now Peter's words and John's words in Revelation, you will find the same simple warnings. Jesus said, I will come like a thief. Like a thief in the night. We've had, unfortunately, here at church through a number of years, we've had several break-ins. And some of them, we lost a lot of property. We came in here and, and those speakers, these wires hanging from ceilings, they, they stole all kinds of stuff. And it's really unnerving to walk into a building where people have been and taking your stuff. There was a common thread in all those theft experiences. They didn't call for an appointment. They didn't send a text and say, hey, I'll be there at 3 if you want to try to stop me. And they didn't come at 10.30 in the morning. It was always the night when you are, what, supposed to be sleeping. And it was without warning. Jesus said, that's, when my, that's what, not when, that's what my coming will be like. Like what? Like when you're sleeping and you're unprepared. So the solution is not stay awake all night. The solution is live in a way so that when you go to bed at night, you're good. When you wake up in the morning, if Jesus comes today, I'm good. If I had an incident with a person and it didn't go so well, and I said something I shouldn't have said or I was unkind, I fix it right now. I'm not going to say, well, I got time to deal with that. Saying things like, oh, God's just dealing with me about a few things. The few things need to be dealt with right now. Because what if he was coming? The suddenness. That's what Peter's warning about. One day is as the Lord with a th like a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, God's not saying, oh, gee, you guys, you're ready already? I guess I should come. No. He is patient toward you. He's patient. Jesus is waiting, and he's patient. What's he waiting for? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We'll stop reading there. Not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. Peter used the example of Noah and the flood. Noah preached according to the Bible in their time and in their day and built that ark for over 100 years. You know how many converts he got to join him on the journey? Six, his family. No one else. God said, I don't want that to happen now. The ark door is open, and the door of the ark is the empty tomb that we sing about here today. I don't want it empty. I want everybody on board that can be on board. I think we as Christians in this last days should be warned, number one, about spiritual laziness. We should be warned to know that it does matter if we pray. It does matter if I read my Bible. It does matter if I treat somebody poorly that I go to them and apologize and ask their forgiveness. It does matter that I forgive people when they wrong me. It does matter that I do my best to live right. Are you going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But it does matter that I try my best. We should not be spiritually lazy. If I feel that temptation, I'm sure you do. And we can just go through our merry life in prosperity and, and a positive and wonderful America and think, boy, aren't we blessed? Even though there are some crazy things, we just get very comfortable. And I believe God's telling us, be prepared. I'm coming suddenly. You don't know when that hour comes, but more than just for our personal life, because God's not coming for us to judge us. God's coming for us to bring our salvation. But we should also be prepared because the door of the ark is open. You know what's interesting about the story of Noah's ark? There's a lot to be said about it, but just there's a couple of things that stand out. Number one, it said the Lord closed the door of the ark. Now, Noah could have closed it, said the Lord closed it. You know why? Because he had a time after which it was too late. And if Noah would have closed it, Noah would have opened it. You don't think there were people when the floodwaters rose? You don't think there were people banging on that ark saying, hey, Noah, sorry, now I believe. Now I want in. It was too late. God said, I don't want that to happen now. I want you to get everybody on this ark you can. Which is why, as a church, we are not comfortable to just sit around and fill our seats with chairs and get you to give money and sing nice songs and tell everybody how wonderful they are. It's why we work in the heat of Reesburg to reach out to kids in the middle of a hot day. It's why we put on Kids Summer Outreach and ask 50 people to volunteer. It's why we have Pulse Kids here all weekend long. It's why we do Bible schools. It's why, why do we do that? We want people to fly through the doors of the ark we want people on board with Jesus can someone say amen? amen God wants it and we want it so now the thoughts I have for us here today as we prepare for our last days is a couple of thoughts number one please know that the day of the Lord will be salvation for the faithful the day of the Lord will be salvation for the faithful. So if you're thinking today, okay, pastor, you're scared me into, you want me to come to church? I say, I'm not trying to scare you at all. I'm just telling you truth from the message of 2 Peter. And the truth is simply this. For the Christian, the coming of Christ is a good and wonderful thing. For the Christian, Jesus coming again is bringing into reality all the hopes and dreams and what we believed in Christ for in the first place. Think of it as going to a store and putting an item on layaway and paying for it, but not picking it up until a later date. 
what happens when your item which has been paid for, which you've been longing to get home and use, when layaway day comes and you go up to that desk and say, I'm here to pick up what I have purchased. That's what our salvation, that's what Jesus is coming, will be. Jesus has paid for the salvation of all mankind. He's paid for the renovation of the earth. He's paid for the destruction of evil and a new heavens and a new earth. He's paid for all of our homes in heaven. He's paid for it all. And one day when he comes, he's going to say, this is day for the layaway to become reality. This is our salvation. This should be what we hope for and long for and dream of. And we should be saying with John and Paul and Peter, we should be saying, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha is the word. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We should be saying that. But we don't want to just say it for us. Would you stand with me this morning? We want to say it to get everybody on board we can. To get everybody on this ark. So that God's house will be full. Practically, for me, knowing when we live and knowing that the coming of the Lord will be suddenly, we should get right and live right. If you're not right, don't wait. Get right. Talk to God now. We should, number two, don't lose your fear of God. Christian, I understand we're saved by his grace. I don't want to be so casual that I'm not moved by his Holy Spirit anymore. I have preached upwards of 7,000 sermons and I've heard thousands of others. You know what I never want to do? I don't care if it's a junior high person, it's their first day. If they get up here and open a Bible and say, I want to read from the Bible today, I want my heart to say yes. God, what do you have to say to me today? I don't want to think, yeah, I don't really care for that preacher style. I don't really like that guy. I don't like that guy. I might listen to them. Beware. Have a fear of God. Don't lose that. Don't lose that tender spot. Don't let a callus grow over the spot where your heart can be convicted. Keep it soft. And lastly, do your best to win all the souls you can. And if you're not one that's out there preaching and telling others about Jesus, work together with us all so we can work as a team and bring them all in that we can. Help in every way we can. And I know so many of you do that. Let's pray. Jesus, today, we reverence you. And we know that you are coming soon. We want to be prepared because we know for all of us it will be suddenly. So we ask you to help us do and be whatever it is we should. I can't know what's in the hearts and lives of all of these people, but you do. And I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would help us to be a prepared people, a people whose hearts are soft, whose conscience can be moved, a people who are quick to try to make wrong behavior right behavior. And most importantly, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll help us to bring as many souls to you as we possibly can that our works would be diligent, our giving would be generous, our love would be sincere, and we would see this ark of Jesus fill up with souls. We pray it in your name.
you'll keep your head bowed for just this moment. Perhaps you're in this place or at home and you know that you need Jesus for yourself. You know that you need a Savior. Not just coming to church, but Jesus in you. A personal choice, a welcome, a faith that's real. You need him to wash away your sins and give you a new life. And if that describes you and you want to make a commitment to Christ in just that way and you haven't yet, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are so we can pray for you, not to embarrass you. No one's looking, but if it's you and you want prayer, I want you to raise your hand. Say, yes, I'm welcoming Jesus today. I want this to be real in my life. All right. Well, I will say that if any of you want prayer for anything at all, we'll have people at our altar who would love to pray with you. Other than that, may the Lord bless you as you go. Be dismissed and have a great day. Bye now.